ladies, gentlemen, and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by the enigmatic and the historically significant Cicero Holmes. Chris, I had a very difficult forgetting. (laughs) Yeah, you and me both. (laughs) Uh, Well, and that's actually, that's the next one. That's the next one that we're (laughs) going to do. But I'll allow it. I will keep it going. Um, And uh, we're very pleased to be joined once more by the singular creator of the YouTube channel, Trexpertise, Mr. Kyle Sullivan. Kyle, thanks for joining us again. Hola. uh, Gracias. How you guys doing? Oh, hey. Can't. Can't complain. This is the first time you're joining us, I believe, for a Strange New Worlds recap as opposed to Picard. Isn't that right? That's right. Yeah. And and good, too, because it's uh, this this Strange New Worlds this season has been pretty dang good. So far, so good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before we actually jump into like our check-in, um, give me a little bit of an idea, because we've talked off and on about how season one of Strange New Worlds struck you and you seem to generally like it but you seemed a bit more effusive of picard season three in the middle of it than you were for strange new worlds but how how does a season one add up for you now that we're in the middle of season two um i think that mm, season one was mostly strong there were a couple of i I don't want to say missteps you know like the like that one episode where everyone dressed up in a fantasy thing and, you know, mm-hmm. that's classic Trek in a sense, but at the same time, it's the, it's a part of my life I want to forget. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, they're really hitting the uh, individualized stories, you know, start to finish the episodic really hard and it's been pretty strong. I, when, when Discovery was announced, I thought we were going back to pick up the threads of the 24th century and continue onward. And we didn't. And, you know, the 23rd century is fine. That's never been, that, that wasn't, that was never my home base for Trek. Sure. And um, with Picard season three, it was like, oh, we'll finally get to sort of see what happened to the universe a little bit. And Picard as a whole, that, that series as a whole, you kind of get some XBs and, you know, Romulans, Romulan diasporas. And you just want to see what happened to the universe. And like, I yeah. know what happened in Kirk's time, but uh, Strange New Worlds has been a breath of fresh air for the most part. And season two is is stronger still, I think. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Great. Yeah, I mean, um, Strange New Worlds season one has the distinction of, I believe, being the only Star Trek series to get a physical release uh, in 4K. And Ooh. highly recommended, by the way. Uh, it's beautiful. And I love that season a lot. So getting more of it is certainly something I'm pretty. So it's getting TLC where Prodigy's not. Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Although, you know, it's funny because like, uh, was it Lower Deck season three? They they did like this backhanded physical media release that it, it's like an on-demand press of the disc. So they're not actually like pumping it into stores, which... And Kyle, I know you're not crazy about lower decks, but still, it's just like, it's such a paramount thing. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> we don't want to put this much money into it. So let's just, you know, let's let them do some of the work. It's like crowdfunding your multi-billion dollar franchise. Well, it's also a hard thing to navigate because physical media as a whole is not working. You know, yeah, they, they, it's anymore. a loss leader for most companies now. And 
you know, they, they discovered that for Trek fans back when they did the Blu-rays of the TNG, the remastered mm-hmm. TNG, they're like, they're, please buy them, buy them. And you'll, you'll communicate that we'll, we can remaster more. Nobody bought them. Right. I did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Oh, well, yeah, well, let's, let's get away from the, the depression of not getting DS nine in high definition, much less something like 4k. This and is the worst timeline. Oh, I, I know. And <laughs> we, we saw a glimpse of it in, in, uh, in this episode too, probably, but, uh, Cicero, my friend. Yes. How are you doing? It's been a couple weeks. Just peek behind the curtain. We're recording two episodes at the same time because we missed a couple and that's my fault just scheduling but it's been a while consequently since we checked in so what have you been up to uh well y- you know uh in the world of trek uh i have been not consuming television besides strange new world and 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 episodes of tos because of strange new worlds um but uh also i have been playing board games that have to do with Trek, more specifically card games that have to do with Trek. Uh, I, um, I peruse board game shops like people peruse comic book shops. Um, Both hobbies are very expensive. Yeah. (laughs) um, And, and both lead to people coming in and looking at you and saying, what did you buy this time? Well, this particular time was a card game that I had never heard of before, but was, it was recommended to me and was, and I was told it was really fun called flux Hmm. F L U X X. Um, The, this is a card game like many other card games, except that, what happens is there are cards that you can play that will change the rules. So, um, and the win conditions. So when you could be strategizing and preparing for one set of win conditions based on the cards that are out there and the next person can completely change the win conditions and how the game is played, all of the rules are in flux which is huh. why the, why the name of the game is such. The game is very um, simple from that prim- you know from that perspective, and uh, games of that type lead to lots of different licensed versions of these games. So I happen to find a Star Trek Voyager themed edition <laughs> of Flux. And I purchased it and was able to play it with some friends of mine who were Flux veterans. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And um, some of the win conditions are things like uh, the goal is Tuvix. That's what it's called. And so you've got to get Tuvox, Tuvok and Neelix crew cards and have them out. And if you have both of those cards out, then you can win. Um, and then, yeah, they have like, the, you know, the, the, the longest is like, uh, uh, on those, the year from hell. Um, yeah. and they have like, yeah, they have like, uh, Ensign Kim and like a damaged Voyager or something like that. It, there's, there, there are all sorts of really, really cool things that are thematically, thematically make you chuckle. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just a really fun game 
and I played that version, and I also played a TOS version. Oh, cool! Flux, yeah, I like so, that. Uh, yeah, so uh, definitely get your nerdy friends together and uh, play some Flux. Is yeah. there a game state where you can win if Ensign Kim gets a promotion? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. <laughs> I found a pip. Right. <laughs> that was the problem. Is just Janeway had misplaced it somewhere. Yes. Yeah. It, it was in the drawer line. on the left. You know, right. for seven years. It was at the bottom time. of her. Right. It was at the bottom of her coffee can. Right. It was all in coffee grounds. But it was always full. She just never. Yes. Drank it was always full. Right. It, right. The replicator so. kept filling it up. It's because the beginning go. of the show, they kept fl- the ship flies through nebulas. The beginning of every episode, so like, right. <laughs> oh man, well, that's cool. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to look into that. Um, Kyle, I understand you've been working on something related to Trek. Are you able slash willing to talk about it a little bit? Sure. Uh, apart from Trek expertise, you mean? No, on Trek expertise. Oh no! Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I've got a big uh, Kirk essay coming out. Uh, I've started editing on that. That's going to be really nice. Um, I have no reverence for Kirk. I like him, but he's not sacred to me. So I like I got to sink my teeth into him as a character and sort of like, well, wh- what really is making this guy tick over over the long long term of of his existence? And so that mm-hmm. was a lot of fun. Um, and then we did uh, we interviewed uh, direct, director Valerie Weiss, who did. Um, at Astra Paraspra, that second season, second episode courtroom drama thing for Strange New Worlds. She's a really good director and she's got really good instincts and it was a fun conversation. I think that's Excellent. what you're talking about. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the Kirk essay in particular because that's not a job I could do because he is sacred to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to uh, to the objectivity that you would bring to the table since I know that, uh, that he's not at the top of your list. I'm going to be very interested to see how, how the final product comes out. I will say this, how the friendship ends. (laughs) I will say this, you know, taking a deep dive on him. Like I appreciate him much more now. Like the, the Hmm. sort of the threads of his life are like much more interesting to me now. So now I'm looking forward to going back and watching some Kirk and be like, Oh, I see it. You know, I see the through line, the thread line. Sure. And you know, I mean, Oh yeah. uh, 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 Yeah. uh, So Kyle, I'm wondering if the episode that we're about to talk to talk about today had any impact on your understanding of the character? No, no. For the very convenient reason that we're dealing with alternate realities. Right. Right. Sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah fair. And uh, I mean, I'll, one of the things that I have always just sort of been fascinated by with Kirk is how he is appraised in the context of the entire franchise. And he is a character who is so, I think unfairly lumped in with the man who performed him for so long. Mm -hmm. I actually think there's a fair amount, you know, and I've said on this show several times, I'm a big fan of captain Kirk, not necessarily of William Shatner. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that I think there's a lot of room to explore there, and I think that some of that room may have informed some of the writing that we've seen for Kirk in Strange New Worlds thus far. It's been interesting, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has, and I think there's more to come, which I'll be fascinated to see. 
But before we actually dive into our episode discussion, unfortunately, we have some sad news to talk about since it was revealed this week that Manny Cotto, a longtime television writer and creative who is credited with being the man who made uh, Star Trek Enterprise Season 4 probably the best of the series, passed away after a battle with leukemia earlier this week. Um, in addition to Enterprise, which he had called a highlight of both his life and his career, he also had important creative roles on shows like Dexter, 24, and American Horror Story. Um, obviously, you know, I, I think that both Rick Berman and Brandon Braga have credited Manny Cotto with being the guy who, quote unquote, saved Enterprise. Uh, not necessarily that it was a show that required saving, but Cotto, unlike Berman and Braga, was not afraid to lean into the lineage of the franchise. And I think that he made Enterprise Season 4 the best of that series precisely because it was no longer ashamed of being a Star Trek show. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, it's it's an eminently watchable season even now, you know, like two, three episode arcs that lean into some of the longstanding questions that we may have had at the time. Uh, and it sounds like he had just a very singular passion for it. Um, how do you guys react to this and, and how do you look back on enterprise season? I guess the last half of the show is what he was involved in. Uh, Cicero, you are often an enterprise evangelist on our, on our own bridge crew. Uh, what's your, what's your take? Um, I, first and foremost, I want to, um, you know, sharing the condolences to, uh, Kodo's family and, and, you know, all of his friends and, and, uh, I, I thank him for doing, doing that show justice. I think that it's, it is a, t in, in four seasons, it's a tale of two shows. Um, and, and, you know, there is the, there is the first season then there is like them trying to figure out who they are in the second and third seasons. And then the fourth season's like, let's just make this show. Like, let's really like, all right, let's really dive in and, and uh, you know, land this ship really, really, really well. Um, and I think they did that uh, particularly at the end. And I, I, I think, the one thing that was rough for people was the finale because yeah. the finale was not, you know, the finale was not a finale. It was, it was a documentary. Um, and then before that was w probably the best episode um, or the best couple of episodes on uh, in the series. Terra prime, um, the two part. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I mean, but they were, they were brilliant. They were brilliant. And, and, and up until what we saw in discovery, arguably, um, the best use of the mirror universe, um, in, in those, in those two episodes, mm. um, so, I mean, just, just from that alone, I, I'm I, like completely thankful that, uh, we, we got Manny Cotto's voice, um, to, to 
create something worthwhile uh, in enterprise. Absolutely. Kyle, please. Yeah, he's had a uh, prolific career and been bouncing around productions for some years now. And like you, you occasionally bump into someone who's like holding a boom pole or running a camera. They're like massive Star Trek fans and you wouldn't know it until you start talking to them. And I feel like Manny Cotto is probably one of those people. Like uh, he claims it is, he claims working on enterprise is a highlight, but he's done all these other, you know, TV standards and greats and like, you know, Dexter and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it, the fact that he's a Trek fan all the way through all that just gives me, it just made me kind of happy to think about it in retrospect. But yeah, I um, I love season three of Enterprise. I loved a lot of season four. I felt like the show embraced itself. I feel like season three is probably like maybe the bravest Star Trek we've gotten in decades. Mm-hmm. Like it really leaned into itself and tried to say something. I don't think we've gotten a lot of Trek like that since then. And I think that's really down to, down to the showrunner. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, in many ways, like he's the anti- J.J. Abrams. Abrams is like a complete outsider coming in and trying something different. Cotto is like, I know what we, sh- I know what we have to do, and he did it. And you know, it's it's. I think Strange New Worlds is sort of leaning into that Cotto energy now. So maybe, and I don't see a lot of people talking about him exactly, but I think that might change a little bit, especially with the announcement of his death. I think that uh, he's going to get a lot more credit where it's due, Trek wise, in the coming years. Enterprise is the redheaded stepchild of star Trek and like it's people have come around to it a great deal, I think. And you know, Kodo's responsible for that. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Well, uh, you know, best wishes of course, to the friends and family of, of Manny Kodo and as star Trek fans, certainly, uh, we, uh, are grateful for his contributions to the franchise, which we'll be able to enjoy in perpetuity. So thank you, Manny Cotto. Well, without further ado, we have quite an episode to talk about. So let's move on to our discussion about episode three of Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. So as usual, these uh, episode descriptions that we are sourcing for our conversation come from the fine editors over at Wikipedia. Although, as we've talked about a lot, uh, they're so singularly devoted to plot that they don't really give a lot of nuance to the character conversations and the character progressions. So we'll drill down a little bit into that character progression, but let's begin with the uh, the opening of the plot. So, a mysterious man appears on the Enterprise and gives a time travel device to La'an Noonien Singh before dying. She's taken to an alternate timeline where Earth is ravaged by war, and the Enterprise is captained by a brash young officer named James Tiberius Kirk. So, um, we got our first look at an alternate Jim Kirk in the season one finale, which we still have to debrief, by the way. It's an IOU to the debrief audience. But, and as a result of that, we haven't really talked about the show's use of the man destined to command the Enterprise. So what do we think of both Paul Wesley, the actor, as Jim Kirk, 
but also just of the show's use of the character generally. Cicero, why don't you start us off? I loved it. Uh, You know, I think uh, as Kyle sat and and spoke about Jim Kirk, um, it made me, and and for his Trexpertise uh, piece, it made me think about the fact that like, oh yeah, we've, we've got three people that, that are, that are Jim Kirk now. Uh, And, and for, I mean, the vast majority of my life, it, it was synonymous with Bill Shatner, right? Like that, that it, it almost seemed like sacrilegious to try and separate the two. And, and, and now you legitimately can, and you can look at the character as, as the character, as and and the actor as the actor, um, because I think that everyone that I've seen play the character, while they while they're taking something from Bill Shatner's portrayal of the, you know, he originated the character, they're taking something from that. Um, they bring something of their own to it and you can actually see the character and it, and it, and it always seems authentic. Um, so I, I really love this portrayal and, and uh, I enjoyed it a lot during the, during the course of this episode. Excellent. Kyle, how about you? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to f- fire some shots off of starboard bow and say that maybe, <laughs> uh, maybe Paul Wesley might be our best Kirk so far. And we've only Ooh. seen him twice. Um, and, and the problem with is exactly like Cicero was saying, like you can't separate Kirk and Shatner and we've already decoupled uh, many of the other classic characters. Like we've gotten a lot of different Spocks. Uh, the, the subtitle for the franchise right now is too many Spocks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, like, you know, Shatner has a particular cadence and a particular style of delivery and, it's it's much more animated in the original series and he's much more seasoned in the movies. I love the character much more in the movies as William Shatner's portraying him. Um, but this is the first time where I get to consider Kirk as a character and not as Bill William Shatner. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'm behind the curve on that, but like I found myself watching his performance very intently, Paul Wesley, um, because, because of the unusual character that he's inhabiting but like seeing a whole new day i was like oh he this character is also like this and i'm i'm being surprised and i like this because like if you tell me captain kirk's gonna be anything then i have a certain expectation and it's it's not getting met it's being surpassed in strange new worlds and i'm i'm kind of it's a very pleasant surprise mm-hmm. I, I i and i love the way the show is playing with this alternate universe stuff he showed up twice now in a space hinting at his future greatness, but also playing with the multiverse in the way Star Trek does so perfectly. And I love that he's like a recurring thing. It's a bit like, um, Sela, Sela, Tasha Yar's Romulan daughter. It's like, you know, it's a little bit, it's playful. Yeah, it is playful. I don't, I, I I mean, to, to what you were saying earlier, I don't think that you're behind the, the eight ball, so to speak, when it comes to separating the character from the performer, uh, because it's not something the franchise has really leaned into outside of expanded universe material, you know, where if, if you're reading a novel that features Captain Kirk, 
maybe your brain is conjuring William Shatner's voice, but it's not William Shatner's voice. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the the writers of these expanded universe materials have to drill down on what makes Kirk Kirk. Mm-hmm. We had uh, on debrief a long time ago. We had Dayton Ward on, uh, who had just written the Discovery Drastic Measures novel that dealt with the uh, the execution of the of half the colonists of Tarsus Four, and of course, you know, one of the witnesses to that event was a, a teenage Jim Kirk, and he makes a, a, a rather playful appearance in the book encountering lieutenant commander philippa Giorgio, and i love talking to to dayton about that scene in particular because he's a guy who clearly loves tos but he also spends a lot of time thinking by necessity by professional necessity about the things that make jim kirk who he is and he talked about just like the idea of like what would drive him into the direction of actually entering Starfleet? He breaks so many rules and that's emphasized in the book. Um, but he sees them as a point. Like uh, there's a, in the book, one of the security officers asks him if he uh, like circumvented the security system of the colony that they're on. And the way that Ward writes it, he just goes, yes. Like he responds truthfully He's not concerned about the idea that it's against the rules because it was something he needed to do in the moment. So he didn't believe that there was anything wrong with doing it. And that's something that I think is absolutely a trait that you can ascribe to Kirk. You see that in several different appearances. The rules are secondary to the mission. You know, if the rules help the mission, then great. But if they don't, they can be put aside in order to serve the greater good. That is absolutely a trait of Jim Kirk. Hmm. So I I totally agree with what you're saying. What we're seeing here in this show so far is another uh sort of magnifying glass on the character and I'm here for it personally. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm quite enjoying it and I think Paul Wesley is doing quite a good job. He's nice, man. He's a good actor. Yeah. Yeah, he is. I'd never seen him in anything before. Mm-hmm. So this is my first exposure to him and um and I see what they're going for. There's a reason why fans don't cast, you know? Right. So right, right. I think, I think yeah. that's true, especially here. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but let's move along with the plot a little bit. So the 3D readout on the time traveler's device aboard the Enterprise likely looks familiar to eagle-eyed fans of Voyager. Cicero, what did you make of the timeline repair episodes of that show? Uh, you know, like when Seven had to go back into the ship's past, for instance. Right. And what do you think of those same kinds of shenanigans now being applied to La'an? Because on a superficial level, there's arguably some similarities between Seven on Voyager and La'an now. What comes sure. to your mind when you see this kind of a MacGuffin? Well, you know, it's it's a thing that it, – it's a trope that Star Trek uses – um, so frequently that I, I I don't even look at it as something anachronistic. I just I just you know I just ride with it, right? Like I just yeah. you know like oh okay this is the ride this is oh okay we're, we're on the ride with the loops today, right? Oh okay <laughs> they're loops. So yeah, let's let's take the loops and and uh, you know they're they're time loops, guys. Time loops. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean. I, 
I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. It was yeah. fun. It is a well-worn franchise trope. Kyle, do you like the fact that this one is is coming back here? Yeah, no, I, I liked it. You know, I, you think Trek does too much time travel stuff, but uh, I think this one hit the sweet spot, you know, being a character study. And you don't mind the time shenanigans so much because, like, Lon's struggle in that moment um, was enjoyable to see. It's interesting to watch. Yeah, most definitely. Well, let's... Uh, Let's move along. Um, the device transports Laon and Kirk to 2020's Toronto, where the pair form a romantic bond. It was very, you know, on the nose written very efficiently. <laughs> they yes. search for the point of divergence <laughs> that caused the alternate timeline with help from a younger Pelia and find a eugenics lab where a young Khan Noonien Singh is being raised. So, you know, they're not sparing and they're, they're not belaboring this description, right? They're going straight for the jugular in terms of what this is doing. But, um, you know, there's there's a lot to unpack here. Lon and Kirk aim to find creative ways to blend into the era they found themselves in. Kirk has apparently used his skills in chess to get a Monopoly man-sized bag of Canadian uh, money. And, and, and this burgeoning romance seems to create... Uh, an undercurrent of tension. Uh, we're getting to see another side of the enterprise's security chief compared with prior appearances when it comes to her specifically. Um, you know, I think that for me, one of the things that was revelatory about this episode was how in touch with her emotions. She actually is outside of just like fear and combat readiness. You know, we're seeing a little bit more of the, the human side of Laon here, which I found very, not that I haven't enjoyed her appearances where they've really like hammered home her skill, but I always like to see the gears turning underneath. Um, Kyle, what did you make of the way that Laon specifically was explored over the course of this episode, most especially during her jaunt through Toronto with, uh, with Jim Kirk? <laughs> uh, I, I thought it was very interesting. It was a different take. Like you're mentioning, we usually see her punching people or talking about Gorn. Oh boy. Um, and, and this time it's all about Toronto and 75 us dollars per Canadian dollar or whatever, or 75 cents per Canadian dollar. Yeah. Um, I, I especially like the little connection between the two and I believed it, you know, I mean, you would think that like, uh, oh, Kirk's on the episode. He's going to start macking on the lady or whatever, but like it felt completely organic and I found myself quite interested in it. And it's a little bit ironic, too, considering her lineage. And we knew, we all knew that this lineage was going to pop up somehow. Yeah. How does she feel about it? It couldn't be great, but uh, it's not as black and white, even with her, as like we would expect as viewers. And I, I was surprised by that. And I, I liked that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Cicero, the... Uh the the uh, sleepless in Toronto between Lon and, and James T. Kirk. Perfect. Yes. Um, it it, uh, it sucked until you until you gave it that title. So, um, but <laughs> um, it the funny thing is when when we the funny thing is that she it seemed to me initially that she she was hot for teacher like very fast and and i you know like i i don't know what it was but then like once i got over that part 
I got it right. Like I was like, oh, okay, this is this is believable. What what was what was really remarkable for me was how little of a womanizer Jim Kirk was, right? And and like that part made made the whole thing really sweet, right? Because he was he was naturally nurturing. He was he was charming without being swarmy. Um, like he, like it was just, it was all very, very effortless between both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, and she was lustful without being like, like without kind of like throwing herself at him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I, yeah, I, I mean, I I liked it all. I I liked what they were doing. I liked what she was doing. Um, I really enjoyed the pairing, and it did seem believable. Um, and I did understand Laon's motivation for it as the episode went on. Right, like this was a this was a genuine connection with someone who who didn't go, come to her with previous baggage about her infamy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he was able to see her as just a person, um, and and that you know, and being free of that allowed her to to be her true self with him. Yeah, you know, see, this is a case where I think the reputation that precedes Captain Kirk might be a little inaccurate because I understand like the idea of seeing him as a little bit more of a womanizer. He kisses a fair amount of women in, in TOS across the run of TOS, but he also like, he has a pretty good track record of like serious relationships that end maturely. And it it doesn't ever seem like he seeks out frivolous rendezvous over the course of the, the run of they TOS. Just, he just stumbles upon them. He just he exudes <laughs> such energy. Yes. Right? Yeah. Space machismo. Right. He's, he's it's just it's effort BDE, right? right? That's what it is. Yes, yeah. yeah. right? yeah. He can't help that. That's he's just got, who he is. He's he's got B, BTE, big transport energy. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's worth considering that he's also an alternate version of himself. Sure. Twice. Yes. We haven't seen the real Kirk yet. Or it could be Toronto, man. It's like New York, but tasteful right right exactly (laughs) (laughs) oh the the, the, fair point fair point um but it is it is one of those things where you know i feel like uh orsi and kurtzman didn't necessarily watch a lot of tos before they wrote the 2009 movie really you don't say (laughs) it was more like they just watched han solo a lot before they they wrote the <laughs> oh, 2009 movie man but as a good friend of mine would say that's a whole other podcast you know, <laughs> we may we may have to dive into like a full episode of pedantic continuity time with star trek 2009 might be or, fun. or just do a kirk like too many kirk episodes and just compare many, all the kirks you know yeah too many kirks <laughs> too many <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's uh, let, let's move along uh, with the uh, with the plot here. So, or actually, just another question: We're getting more 
from uh, from Pelia. And I like how radically different her life is in this era, but I also had to chuckle at the implication too that Laan and Kirk created a predestination paradox that might have pushed her toward an engineering career. Uh, what do you guys make of Pelia so far? We haven't had a lot of time with her, but we're getting... I, I think anyway, a rather unusual degree of granularity when it comes to seeing who she is and what she's about. Um, Kyle, what's your take on, on Pelia as an addition to the cast and what we see of her in this episode? I am waiting to be convinced. I feel like she is a trickster forest elf and has no place in this setting. And I'm I'm waiting on something to happen to sort of snap that character into a into a place. It hasn't happened yet. This mm-hmm. this episode <clears throat> and the other episode we watched, uh, the first one where she's sort of prominent, um, she's up to mischief. And I, I like my engineers to be by the book, so I, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to to like her. All right. I'm sure yeah. it'll happen, but I'm waiting. I think that's fair. You know, I mean, anytime we get a new chief engineer, like I, I'm still hurting from losing Hammer personally. So Hammer was great. He was really cool. And we haven't seen a lot of Enar before. Another credit to late season enterprise. Mm-hmm. Right. That's right. That's right. So, uh, like I, I like how Hammer combined what we knew from Enar as well as like a lot of characterizations of the Andorians as belligerent, which was also an innovation that enterprise made. Perfect. And it was a great addition to the show. So I'm still hurting from that. So I think I'm with you in that respect. And he's in the, he's in the same place that prodigy's in right now. There you go. Yeah, really? Yeah. Although I guess Bruce Horak is supposed to show up as a different character this year. So that's cool. Hmm. But, um, you know, We'll see. Sort of like how Ken Mitchell had life oh, yeah. beyond Cole in Discovery. Yeah. Uh, we might be getting more from uh, from Bruce Horak, which is cool. Uh, Cicero, you also seemed a little bit on the fence last time about Pelia. Did this move the needle at all for you, or is it still a TBD? It is. It is mostly still a TBD, and and you know, I, again, I want to point out uh, the fact that the the new treks the new Trek trope is uh, say that three times fast um, is, is quirky engineers, Mm. right? So all of your engineers are these, you know, really kind of outside the box, mad scientist types, Um, you know, or, or, or at least, at least outside the box they're you know, they're the, the like nerdy comic relief, um, you know, Hemmer, uh, Jet Reno, and now Pelia, right? Like this is, this yeah. is, you know, this is kind of who, who they are now. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what the purpose is, mm. right? Like you, you brought this actor in to play this role, right? There is a very specific thing that this character is here to do. Uh, and, and they haven't done it yet because, you know, otherwise you could have come up with anything to, to, or anything or anyone to be the, the, the other engineer before Scotty, 
right? Like, you know, so, so, you know, now, now we've got, we've got two engineers before Montgomery Scott and we didn't know anything about them, which I'm, I'm perfectly fine with. Um, but let, let it mean something. It's got to mean something. Um, it can't just be done just because it was done. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm waiting to see what it means. Sure. Yeah. And I think that that's also fair. You know, I'm curious about how the uh, positioning of the chief engineer role will progress uh, and, you know, how far we are really away from Scotty. I can't remember exactly what role he had and where no man has gone before, but it wasn't chief engineer. No, he was, he was serving under someone, I believe. Yeah, he was like in the he was a transport he was in the transporter room. Um but I can't remember exactly I think now I have to I have to I'll I'll have to look it up at some other point. But conceivably there is room for Scotty to show up under the auspices of a new role at some point if they wanted to do that. We've technically heard him on Strange New Worlds, uh just, you know, alternate timeline. So he actually served under Captain Pike in the alternate timeline that was created in the season finale. But in terms of Pelia herself, uh yeah, I think I'm with you guys. She's still a little bit of a TBD, although I think Carol Kane is delightful. You know, I think sure. that she is she she brings an exuberance to it that makes her really fun to watch, but this is a performance that I will critique differently because it's Star Trek. So I'm not totally bought into her character yet, but I'm open. I'm I'm totally open to, to the journey. Absolutely. I'm still trying to figure out how the hell she got on a duty roster. (laughs) Right. Like, I mean, she just kind of appointed herself the engineer and, and uh, Spock, the thief was like, okay, (laughs) <laughs> sure yeah yeah it's the same yeah, starfleet yeah. that gave cadet kirk a uh, captaincy of a major right. yeah. there you go there, there it goes again no uh, yeah. i don't know have we seen her interact with captain pike yet i don't Not think we yet. have no. yeah mm-hmm. yeah no. well that'll be that'll be fun that'll be kind of fun to see uh, is he going to know who she is or is he just going to be like, who are you? Yeah. I, 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 I actually hope that's the take. I hope that's that it. Would yes. be kind of funny. That would be kind of funny. That oh, might chief make engineer. You chief say. Engineer. Oh. Right, right. <laughs> Wait a second. You're the chief engineer. <laughs> I thought you were a counselor. All right. Well, let's, let's move along with the plot here. So this is a big one. A Romulan time traveler named Sarah intends to change human history by killing Khan Noonien Singh, La'an's ancestor, which would prevent the eugenics wars and ultimately keep humanity from the path that eventually led to unity and the founding of the Federation. So this obviously has very big continuity implications for the, for the prime timeline, but it was also hinted at back in Prodigy and even in the first episode of Strange New Worlds. I guess I have an external question for you guys when it comes to the events of the episode. So in Space Seed, Spock clearly says that Khan's rule of a portion of Earth happened between 1992 and 1996. That has now been pushed aside because of these temporal shenanigans. And there was an interview that I saw with Akiva Goldsman, the showrunner of Strange New Worlds. And he said that uh, after this episode aired, he specified that they needed to push the eugenics wars further out to continue the idea that Star Trek could be our own future. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. 
Um, I guess my instant reaction to reading that was, well, it's not, you know, there, there seems to be room here for an alternate 1990s where the eugenics wars took place. I kind of like the idea of the eugenics wars and a second civil war ultimately combining into world war three. Like that's a cool idea in terms of like star Trek has always been very cynical about how the 21st century went in the rear view mirror. Like we're, Same, bro. we're, we're going to kill <laughs> ourselves. It's basically what star Trek is saying in the, in yeah. the 21st century. But, uh, how does this, like, is this necessary for, for you guys? I guess two questions. Is it necessary and is it interesting? Because those don't necessarily have the same question. Uh, Kyle. No and no. Um, okay. We, so we had this uh, two book or three book series a while back about the rise of Khan. I don't know if you guys read it or not, but it treated- Greg Cox, yeah. Yes. It treated it not as a global public conflagration, but as like a spy versus spy underground kind of thing. There's no reason why they couldn't have leaned into that. And in fact, I didn't really check myself on the year that they were traveling back to um, Lon and Kirk. But like, I just assumed that that's what they were leaning into is like, we're going to treat this like the book did and take some notes. And like, it's going to be a conflict, but it's not going to be apparent until a century later. And historians look back and like, oh, yeah, that's a trend that also happened. And we nearly went off the rails. You know, um, that's what I thought they were doing. Like, I, I, I think otherwise it's a, just a, a blatant violation of canon. And it didn't really, I don't, the aughts versus the 90s, there's not that much of a difference uh, for the Trek timeline. Just Not 300 years hence, no. Yeah, just keep it the same. It, it would have been fine. No one would have, you could have written it however you wanted to write it, right, right? it. Khan could have been a puppet master pulling strings globally without the public knowing. I think that'd be actually more interesting. Right. Sure. Cicero, Space Seed is very fresh in your mind right now. That's correct, sir. Uh, you just watched that episode again this evening, if I'm not mistaken. It is literally the last thing that I watched. So, so how do, how does this come together for you then? Uh, I, I think Kyle Kyle said it best. Um, it's always funny to think about when you you know think watching consuming media where their future is your past um, and thinking about, you know, uh, how those things didn't happen. But while they didn't necessarily happen the way that these people thought they did, they kind of did, you know, it's kind of still happening. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I think that what, what Kyle's saying is like, oh, yeah, like uh, that Khan was was pulling the strings behind the scenes for the last 30 years is much more compelling, you know, as a, as a plot point than to just say, Oh, uh, the historians got it wrong. The carbon dating was off by 40 years. And we, you know, and we just, we just found that out and we figured it out and and now we fixed it. Um, you know, uh, like we've, I understand that we, continue to to make it so that this doesn't seem the case but we as a society need to start treating ourselves not like children but 
but like adults, if we're dealing with adult content and we have to allow ourselves the imagination to figure stuff out within our own headcanon or what have you, instead of having to to feel it necessary to explicitly spell everything out, especially when we're dealing with established canon um, and, you know, and, and messing around with it at a, at a certain point, we just kind of have to say, well, that's how it was then. This is how it is now. Get over it and enjoy, enjoy the stuff. Yeah. Two things. Now, now someone in the future of Star Trek has to, like a writer has to fix this and they're going to do it. It's going to be like the smooth forehead Klingon thing in Enterprise. Right. 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 And, you know, Star Trek is also like 60 something, six, almost 60 years old. Like when the, when they made Space Seed or when they established the canon originally, they didn't know they're going to be on the air for 60 years. Star Trek should be next time they do a time travel episode. It's like, hold up. People are going to be watching this two centuries from now. Let's let's build the story so that it's not we don't get bit by this when time doesn't turn out the way we think. And you know, it's future proofing it. And Trek of any franchise in existence should probably know to do this by now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, there was a thought that was expressed to me by uh, Javi Trujillo, who was on a recent episode of Debrief with us. Uh, for for uh, I think episode two of Stranger Worlds, and he made a good point. I thought when he said, "Well, if they do this now, then aren't they just going to have to keep doing this later? Like, are they going to yeah. keep pushing yes. the Eugenics Wars further and further away? You can't do and that on a long enough timeline. I mean, are they going to push other things further away? Is the twenty third right. century going to become the twenty fourth and twenty fourth mm-hmm. and, and I mean, who knows how long this is going to keep keep moving for? But right. I thought it was a good point, you know, like, do we need to do this much kind of maintenance to preserve an aspirational quality for a timeline that is not ours? And I I think that you can explain it away very quickly, like uh, very easily, like the Middle Ages in Europe, for example. Nobody who lived in Europe in that time knew they were in the quote unquote Middle Ages. That's an historian looking back from centuries. It's like, <laughs> right. oh, I see these trend lines. Let's give that a name. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. You don't have yeah. to think too hard about it. You don't have to change date. Now we have, now in my head, we have this other timeline that doesn't fit the main prime timeline. And I don't know what's going on. And some mm-hmm. future writer is going to take it and make gold with it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, Well, I mean, to that point, right? We are... On April 5th, we were 40, we are 40 years away from first contact, right? Right. Uh, God willing, the three of us will still be on this earth. And if we're, we're, we're still on this earth or we're still around, we're, we're still going to care about Star Trek. And we will look on April 5th, 2063, we'll be sitting there. Looking for looking for the Vulcans, right? And when we don't see the Vulcans, we'll go, oh, ha 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 ha, and 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 then watch First Contact, and say, oh, that didn't happen. But like, who cares, right? Like, yeah. but but are the people that are the 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 custodians of this franchise going to go in and say, oh, no, 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 no? no. Carbon dating was off. So, you know, <laughs> I, right? <laughs> you know, I think leave the dates the same and you can just explain 2093. it. You can explain it uh, being the date right. there. Like 
the Vulcans land in Montana, but they didn't. But nobody told anybody. And how many right. alien conspiracy theories can you play with if you're gonna like? Come on, like you, yeah, you can be very inventive. It's like the Klingon smooth forehead thing. It's an opportunity. We were talking about Zelda before we started recording, and I mean, there's a reason why it's called the Legend of Zelda, right? All of these games conceivably share some kind of history, but they could have happened the way that you played them, or they didn't. Mm-hmm. It could. It's a legend, you know. It's open to interpretation, but can't have that with Star Trek, I guess. But no, the only legend is Kirk, the womanizer, and I believe that's what <laughs> I thought. That's what Space Seed was going to be about, but it was completely different. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's there's a there's a book in there somewhere. Yeah, um, oh yeah, or a special video, adult content. There. <laughs> adult content. Well, let's uh, let, let's move along with the plot. So Sarah kills Kirk and fights Laon, who kills Sarah and saves Khan. Khan Laon. Laon returns to the Enterprise in her own timeline and is thanked by a time traveling investigator from the future, a colleague of the mysterious man who confiscates the time travel device and swears Laon to secrecy. So this feels like uh, the Star Trek equivalent of the old adage about killing baby Hitler if you had the chance. But I think the added weight here comes from La'an almost literally battling with her own legacy. And that makes it punch a little higher to me. Um, But how do you guys feel about it in the moment? Were you, despite what we just talked about in terms of the continuity shenanigans, were you along for the ride here, Cicero? Yeah, I was definitely along for the ride. I want to take a second to shout out uh, the the actor who played Young Khan. Um, uh, simply, if, if for no other reason, then he is the first uh, actor to play Khan that's actually Indian. Right. Oh, so, snap. Oh, snap. So, um, so congratulations to you, young man. Desmond um, Sivan is his name. De- it Desmond took 50 Sivan. years. Yeah, it only took right. It only took forty six and fifty five years for us to get for us to get an Indian uh char- an Indian actor to play the Indian character. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, yeah, I, I like again. I think one of the one of the the su- successes of this show, um, and and I think when when discovery ends and eventually, you know, as, as, as much as I hate to say it, strange new worlds will end at some point when these end. And we, we kind of have retrospectives on, on both of these series. I think one of the things that, that we'll be able to look at is how much the episodic nature of this show helped the viewers enjoy the show more, right. And enjoy the, the characters that inhabited that this show more um, as a result of the stakes, not being so high and, and, you know, every episodes or so much energy it, uh, being devoted in the episodes to either um, pushing the MacGuffin along or, um, you know, convincing you that the stakes, the stakes are, are immensely high, but, but necessary in the, in the moment we're able to, uh, like they are in Discovery in in Strange New Worlds, we're able to take the take that time and uh, devoted and dedicated to the crew members, and we can 
really start to learn about them. So we know what it is that they're off to do in that particular episode. They're going to go and do it. But in the meantime, while we're on the way to that mission, we're going to have these different dialogue points. We're going to get to know who these characters are. And this was an episode for us to really get to know La'an, right? And also get to see uh, a version of Captain, a new version of Captain Kirk, but, but, but to really get to know La'an above and beyond her last name and her lineage. Mm -hmm. And and as a result, you know, we've got a really fleshed out character that, that, we we know is tragically misunderstood, but you know, I mean, there's so much there, right? There's so much baggage that she's carrying. You know, not only is she the right, like she is the descendant of Star Trek's Hitler, but also um, she's she's the the first version of Star Trek's Newt from Aliens, right? Like she mm. survived the Gorn. Yeah. So she's got all of those things. And and because of both of those things, nobody really wants to play with her like that, right? Like they they'll they'll hang out with her and everyone's kind of cool, but like nobody's rocking with her like that. Um, or at least she feels right, and then, you know, and part of that is part of that is her, right? Like she feels that n- nobody wants to rock with her like that because she's carrying all of that baggage. And and in this episode, again, in this episode, we were able to see her shed that um, with someone who didn't know all of those things that she knew didn't know all those things about her. Um, and then she was able to reconcile that at the end with Khan to say, you know what? Even though, like, you did some, sh- you did some shitty stuff that created uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, angst for me. It is who I am, and, and and as a result, I don't want to change that. So, um, you know, here here we are. Yeah, and and I won't I won't even prejudice you into saying, hey, maybe don't maybe don't try and conquer the world before <laughs> I go. <laughs> yeah, uh, well said. No, it's, it's definitely a lawn episode. I think is pretty right. fair to say for for this one. <laughs> Uh, You're a great dad. <laughs> uh, Kyle, same question. You know, despite the the shenanigans that are taking place in the prime timeline as a result of of this episode, um, were you bought into this moment between Lon and and Sarah? Um, the Romulan agent. Not really. She okay. she was she was a little bit of she was. She was a bit of a ham sandwich. She was more like a Karen uh, down at the school board <laughs> meeting than she was like a Romulan agent. You know, I thought she was going to like whip around the minivan and uh, drop the kids <laughs> off real quick. <laughs> no offense to that actor. She, she's fine on screen, but didn't feel very Romulan. Sure. Um, but yeah, the stakes were good. Uh, it, you know, and we knew, and by the time they were on the university campus, you knew that con was coming and what are you going to do with that and how is she going to react and i was surprised by all that i thought they played that really interestingly mm-hmm. and he was just a child and i love lon's reaction to that because like for her it's all the past and she can't change it and that lesson being learned there, using the time travel gobbledygook to set that character up moment 
that character moment up was really nice. And I love that he was just an innocent kid. Like uh, uh, contrast that with uh, Bandicoot Cumbersnatch um, <laughs> o- over pronouncing like I am Khan, you know, like, and you yeah. just like the, the gravitas wasn't there. Like that was on the viewer to understand the gravitas. You're just there to meet a kid. And I love right. the way they played that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to need to do some Kelvin timeline stuff. We haven't really done very many deep dives into it. Uh, I actually tend to prefer Star Trek Beyond to the first two uh, overall, but I remember Cicero thought that it was a mixed bag. Yeah. And then there's all these other things that, that have come up over the course of this conversation. We, we should do some, some Kelvin's first. It was nemesis. And now it's, it's the yes. Kelvin timeline. Okay. <laughs> nemesis. Get, oh, Cicero, you, you need to live stream the game that came out in 2013. That's what you got to do. If you oh, can get boy. through it, if you can get oh, through it. Okay. Yeah. Which game was this? This is Star Trek. Just Star yeah. Trek. Star it, Trek. It, yeah. You played as Kirk or Spock. Yes. The, the whole cast this, did voice work right. for it. Oh, really? The yeah. whole cast, including Anton Yelkin, and, uh, which is way more tragic now than, than it should be. But uh, yeah. the game was not well constructed, unfortunately. <laughs> and the Gorn were like extra dimensional invaders, which was a weird uh, anachronism in the way that they brought the Gorn into the Kelvin. T- it was, it's, it's a thing. You, story's okay, <laughs> but the, it's hard to play. We should. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, we should. We might have to do something with that someday. Um, well, let's wrap this up. So Laon contacts her timelines, Kirk, but he has no memory of her. He offers to get together next time they're on the same starbase, and after the call disconnects, she breaks down in tears, relieved he's alive. She keeps a 20th century watch that they used to find the eugenics lab. So we know that we haven't seen the last of old Jim Kirk this season. Do you guys feel that, uh, and Cicero, I think you indicated that you felt affirmatively about this before, but do you feel that the romance on Laon side of things has an air of legitimacy to it after this episode? Do you think that could come together for Kirk's future appearance? I mean, it seems like it's going to, but what did you make of, of just the romance as a legitimate extension of Laon and her reaction to seeing that Jim Kirk is okay. Yeah. So I, I guess I've read it differently. Okay. Um, right. Like I, 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 I felt like what, what we were, we're seeing was not relief, but, but uh, was a mourning, mm-hmm. right. That mm. the person that like, she realized she recognizes that that's Jim Kirk, but the, but the person that she fell in love with is truly dead. Mm. is truly gone and that she has to make a decision about how she's going to present herself to this Jim Kirk. I, I you know, yeah, it's, it's clear that Laon and, and Jim Kirk are going to share space again this season. Um, but what she, who she is when she, presents herself to him is is really still kind of up in the air i think um you know like will she be foolish and and try and get him to 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 fall for her 
Um, or is she, you know, or is she going to treat him like a stranger? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Sure. Kyle, how about you? Uh, I, I don't think it was released exactly. I thought same as Cicero. I thought it was like a bit of mourning, like, and I think it's, I think it's a very selfish reason. Like she hasn't opened up to anybody and she's in a routine and she's sort of trapped by her name. And like this episode forces her to confront both her name and to get to know someone who doesn't know her on those terms. And like, that's what she loses. Like she made a real human connection and like it's gone. And like, in a way, like, you know, all those women that Kirk space seated or whatever, in the original <laughs> series, you, you never get their side of it usually, unless they're really right. pissed off that they didn't become captain or something. Right. <laughs> still, still haven't fixed that bit of canon. Um, but we, we see the impact just a brief encounter with Kirk had on a person who really needed to see, he had that encounter. And like it, I think, when they meet up again, we will be carrying the shadow of that encounter. I don't think she's going to force him to do anything, but like just interacting with him again in the prime universe will probably allow her to flower some more. The memory of that will allow her to become more comfortable in her own skin. And I think that's this actor playing Lon is really good. This was a really nice performance from her. And I, I want to see some shades of that in the future. Yeah, the the crescendo of the emotion at the end felt very genuine to me in the mm-hmm. moment. And that's not something that you can get if you don't have a performer capable of pulling what that scene requires off. And mm-hmm. she totally did. So totally. kudos to Christina Chong for mm-hmm. an, an excellent performance over the course of this episode. And uh, she's been a great addition to the cast. So definitely looking forward to seeing more from her and uh the love for jim kirk saved the day (laughs) that that warms my heart so i you know you you mentioned turnabout intruder i think you got a very easy fix for that it's just well dr lester is a little on the crazy side So so blame the lady huh well, blame, uh-huh. Uh-huh. not blame the lady. Women just blame, crazy, right? Blame the person, yeah, for being a little myopic because it's like she could she could say to someone they don't let women be Starfleet captains. They say, what are you talking about, Philip or Georgia? One of the most legendary Starfleet captains that ever lived. Why yeah. are you fixated on this? Like, well, they didn't want me to be. Well, I, I think that. I think there's a way to explain it without hurting anybody, and I think Star Trek should explain it without pushing the year further out. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Oh well. Either it's, way, it, was it Thundar? Did it, you guys catch reruns of Thundar? Thundar. Night? Back in the year of 1994, you know, blah blah blah. <laughs> the Earth has been ripped asunder, and you're like, yeah. <laughs> Was that uh, the the humans are dead song by Flight of the Concords? Just like that's right. the future, the year two thousand, yeah. <laughs> and it came out in like two thousand four. Good stuff. Well, um, we do have uh, a few things to note in a regular occurrence here on Discovery Debrief. It's not you, Chris. It, it is. It, 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 is. Says, it didn't sound anything like you. Good. I mean, that was the intention because I did, it's not like I could hire someone to do that, right? So I had to do it myself. But um, look, there's a lot here. There's too much here for us to go through, honestly. Um, but we can go through a couple of things. 
Uh, so this episode is the first to definitively establish that the prime James T. Kirk's hometown is Riverside, Iowa. Kirk had been associated with Iowa since Star Trek for the voyage home and Star Trek 2009 had previously established Riverside as the hometown of the alternate reality. James T. Kirk, like the alternate reality, James T. Kirk, this alternate timelines Kirk is also born in space rather than on earth. Although in this case, the USS Iowa rather than the USS Kelvin. So yeah, I'm, I'm from space. Minus yeah. 10 points. He also visits Canada. William Shatner's Canadian. Yeah, true. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's, it, it's all connected. Mm. Uh, the male agent from I think the, that, I think that had more to do with the fact that they, they filmed there. Yeah. And, oh, COVID. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I heard a story. I don't know if it's true or not that it was going to end up being New York, but someone just said, well, why we're in Toronto. Why don't we just make it Toronto? Right. And yeah. I love the joke at the beginning. It's like, is this New York? No, it's Toronto. Uh, right. Yeah, because everything's New York, right? Yeah. But no, Toronto's a cool looking city. I, I need to go there sometime. Toronto is used for New York a lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, a lot. And it in, is New York in, on easy mode. It is a chill New York experience. Right. Yeah. Right. That's what I've heard. I've never, never had the pleasure yet, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but someday. Uh, the mail agent from the Department of Temporal Investigations uh, shows on a holographic T-Cars interface similar to the one first seen in Voyager's Relativity. Laon indicates that Canada is no longer referred to as such by the 23rd century, despite references in other shows that refer to Canada by name. However, she may be referring to the fact that Canada as part of United Earth no longer exists as a nation state. That seems like it might be a little too... People are trying to make something out of nothing it's in, a giant bald eagle bird to canada <laughs> is what Can- canadians should riot let's, <laughs> let's not pretend that there is a little bit of uh of uh, americocentrism that tends to crop up o- over the course of star trek productions um, oh what are you kidding Stop me that. really <laughs> anyway uh this version of kirk's proficiency for chess becomes instrumental in getting them access to local currency According to this version of Kirk, his proficiency is derived from his familiarity with three-dimensional chess, a skill that was often displayed with the prime timeline version of Kirk in the TOS episodes where no man has gone before and Charlie X, where he would often beat Spock. That honestly warmed my heart too, because like even Rachel turned over to me while we were watching this and said, is Kirk good at chess? And I was just like sitting back going, well, he's beaten Spock a couple times, so... He's got to be pretty good at chess. That's not nothing. Fun fun side note. When my father and I went to Star Trek The Experience in Las Vegas in the summer early 2002, uh, one of the Klingons that is walking the history of the Future Museum there, was walking the history of the Future Museum there, asked my dad if he had played tridimensional chess. And my dad said, yes, I have. And I was like, what? Dad, you've played tridimensional chess? He's like, oh, yeah, we played it at Berkeley. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> Star wow. Trek The Experience and tridimensional chess taught me something about my father that I wow. never would have known otherwise. So, oh, by the way, your visit to Star Trek The Experience has been retconned to last September. I'm sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> if that means it's still open, that's a retcon I'll take. That means I'm it's still open. Place. <laughs> Oh man, that that's that's see that's the best timeline. We missed that. One. <laughs> um, Laon shows disapproval at this version of Kirk's methods of driving, similar to how in a piece of the action Spock was shown to be equally critical 
of Kirk's driving skills. Maybe kind of a nice nod. I don't know if that's necessarily a connection. And then there's a lot of things on the memory alpha page for this episode related to the change for the timeline of the eugenics wars. Uh, it makes mention of Aaron Waltke, an executive producer on Star Trek Prodigy, offering a similar explanation for the confusing placement of the eugenics war, saying the ripples of the temporal Cold War shifted mm. the t- the prime timeline in Enterprise. <clears throat> that's, okay, that's fine. That's, that's fine. You yeah. know, I think they pr- like they make mention of the temporal Cold War in this episode, but there's nothing particularly explicit and. That's something where I think we can all probably agree that Enterprise dropped the ball, not really through any fault of the people running the show, but they ran out of time. I mm-hmm. definitely feel like that's something that could have crescendoed in a in an interesting way, mm-hmm. but it just they just didn't have the runway for it. So there's a lot more, but I think we're gonna call it there. Um, there's there's a lot to unpack in terms of like the specifics of the canonicity of this episode, but it's a fascinating document that's now been added to the fabric of the franchise that like Kyle has said, I'm sure someone is going to weave things into the tapestry in a, in a cool way in in the years to come. Uh, Kyle, thanks again for joining us. Uh, Please remind people where they can find you and your work. Uh, com and yeah, I live on the planet Earth. Visit. It's a good place. Try the Mai Tais. <laughs> Excellent. Well said. Well, uh, that is going to do it for episode number 98 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute, and let us know if you wrote one, and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, and feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. We're not on threads yet. Maybe we will be. I don't know. We'll see how the war between the billionaires shakes out, but we don't really have a dog in the fight. So have at it, I guess. Um, Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure in the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 